Today on A Daily Walk from Pastor John Randall. Jesus is never taken off guard. He is never, oh, I don't, oh, a plan. Oh my goodness. Uh, Let me get Father, Son, Holy Spirit up here. Let's uh, huddle up and pray about it. No, he's never without a plan. He knows how to guide. He knows how to direct. The Bible says he knows the plans that he thinks concerning you. He's given you a future and a hope. He wants to guide and direct you if you are willing to come to him. This is A Daily Walk. We're so glad to have you with us for what we pray will be a profitable time in God's Word. Last time, we placed a bookmark at Luke chapter 22 as we left off in our ongoing study of Luke's Gospel. This is where Jesus spends some time speaking with His disciples just before He headed to Calvary. We've come to know it as the Last Supper. Well, this was a time of celebration of the Passover, and it instituted what we refer to as communion. It was also an evening of revelation. Here now is our teacher, Pastor John Randall. The best thing that you can do this morning, if you're in that place and the Lord is calling you to something or telling you something or you're in a situation where you don't know what to do, can I encourage you today, go right back to Jesus and say, Lord, where, what, how do you want me to do it? And he will direct you, he will guide you, he will show you. And the great news, listen, for us today is he always has a plan. Jesus is never taken off guard. He is never, oh, I don't, oh, a plan. Oh my goodness. Uh, Let me get Father, Son, Holy Spirit up here. Let's uh, huddle up and pray about it. No, he's never without a plan. He knows how to guide. He knows how to direct. The Bible says he knows the plans that he thinks concerning you. He's given you a future and a hope. He wants to guide and direct you if you are willing to come to him. And so the disciples said, Lord, what do you want us to do? And I'm so thankful that Jesus gave them a plan. And it was in steps. Step one, I want you to go into the city, probably filled with two million people, and you're going to see a guy, and he's going to have a pitcher of water. Now, that is unique because, ladies, this was women's work. Women are the ones to fetch the water. But on this particular day, I guess there wasn't any women available. There's a man in the city carrying a pitcher of water. So imagine these guys going into the city. You see a guy, oh my goodness, there's a guy carrying a pitcher of water. Second step, follow him. Follow him to the house that he goes. And then go into the house, ask for the master of the house. And the next step, just say, hey, where are we going to prepare for the Passover for the teacher? And so once they did that, Jesus said, then he's going to show you a room completely ready and furnished. So they went. I love this. They went and they found it just like Jesus said. Here's the steps. Step one, go into the city. Step two, Follow the guy with the pitcher. Step three, ask for the master of the house. Step four, where are we going to set up? And he'll tell you. I wonder if you followed the directions of Jesus. Are you one of those people that says, Lord, I'll follow you. Just tell me step five before I take step one. (laughs) So I know where you're going, and I can decide whether or not I want to do it that way. It doesn't happen like that. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight, and God may call you to take a step, and that's the first step he's going to show you, and then he'll show you the next step after you take that step, and then the following. That's how it goes. That's what it means to walk and to trust and to believe that God's going to direct you. And so these men went in obedience to the commands of the Lord, and they found it just like Jesus said. And what they found, he had already taken care of it. It was already prepared. Jesus somehow had already gone before them, made preparations. It was already ready. He knew what he was doing, and he knows what he's doing with your life, and he knows what he's doing with my life, and you can rest in that today, friend. Well, as they went into this upper room, Jesus will now partake with his disciples of his last supper. It says in verse 14, now the hour had come 
he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. As the disciples gather for this final meal of Passover, there's a couple of things that Luke does not record that the other gospels fill in some of the details. For one thing, when they would gather at this Passover meal, this last supper, the seating arrangement was unique. Maybe you've seen the picture, the painting of the last supper with all of the disciples seated in a long table. Jesus is the one with the halo over his head and they're all eating and you know it's, it's you've seen the photo it's not a photo it's actually a painting but maybe you've seen a photo of the painting but nonetheless <laughs> that's not how it was that's not an accurate depiction in those days they would recline on pillows the table would be set if you can imagine in in, in a u-shape and everybody would be leaning on their arm legs are behind them and they would be grabbing Tearing and, and eating and dipping and double dipping. And it just, that's the kind of meal that it was. And that's where they were. They were seated, or actually reclining. But then something else happened during that meal that John's gospel fills in the details of what happened that night. It says that when they had finished eating, that Jesus got up from that table, laid aside his outer garment, and put on an apron of a servant. And he took the lowest position that a servant could have in a household, which was washing feet. And he began to go to all of the disciples and wash their feet. He washed John's feet, the disciple whom Jesus loved, as John calls himself. He washed Matthew's feet, the tax collector that left everything and came and followed him. He washed Andrew's feet, the one that was constantly bringing people to him. He washed Judas' feet the one that just in a matter of time was going to betray him. And then he came to Peter, the Bible tells us. And Peter said, Lord, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus said to Peter, Peter, what I am doing now you do not understand, but you will know after this. You ever had the Lord say that to you? What I'm doing right now, you don't get it. But you'll know later on. Peter said, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus said to Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Peter said, then Lord, just go ahead and wash all of me. Hose me down, Lord. It's a loose translation. No, the Lord said to him, Peter, I only need to wash your feet. And then after Jesus had washed all of their feet, he began to explain what it was that he had just done. Guys, there is something in this picture of Jesus that I want to point out to you. Jesus laying aside his outer garment in a real sense, was a picture of what Jesus did in coming to this earth. He laid aside his divine privileges and he became a servant. And he didn't come only to wash men's feet, but to wash away our sins. Jesus said to his disciples, what I've done for you, I've left you an example that you should do likewise. The son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The greatest in the kingdom, Jesus would say, is the servant of all. And that is the position that he took. Could you imagine God in the flesh, washing your feet, taking the lowest possible position? And Jesus said to his disciples, you're blessed if you will do this yourselves. Wash one another's feet. After he had washed the disciples' feet, 
Of course, there was a couple other things that take place. The other gospels seem to place the timeline that Judas was then dismissed before the communion service. But nonetheless, we read here that the Passover meal then began. What took place at the Passover? The Passover of ancient times is a little bit different than the Seder that you've perhaps celebrated or read about before. But there was a series of steps that would take place at the Passover meal that had great significance and representation. And I want to mention just a few of them for you as a guideline. Rabbi stated that during the Passover meal, whoever does not make mention of at least these three following things did not fulfill their obligation at the Passover meal. Number one, the Passover sacrifice. That was the lamb. The lamb was to remind them of how their houses had been protected by the blood when the angel of death passed through Egypt. If you have never read the Old Testament, let me just bring you up to speed why it is they call it the Passover. The nation of Israel was in bondage to the Egyptians for over 400 years, crying out to God for deliverance. And the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, and through a series of plagues, nine plagues to begin with, the grip of the Egyptians was being loosened as the nation of Israel was about to be set free. But there was one final plague that would deliver them, and that was the death of the firstborn. And the only way that the Jewish people could escape the death of their firstborn is to take a lamb. They had to take a lamb to sacrifice that lamb, to take the blood of that lamb, put it on the, the doorpost of their house. Interesting, in the shape of a cross, the blood of the lamb. And when the angel came, and death came with him, when he saw the blood, he would pass over. And thus it is called the Passover celebration. But what an amazing picture that is for us of Jesus. The Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death. And there's only one thing that can save you from death, spiritually and physically, that you will live eternally. And here's what it is. It's the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's the shed blood of the Lamb of God. And so as we are covered in the blood, death passes over us, sins are forgiven. It's a Passover. And that's what they were celebrating as they partook of the lamb. But the second thing was the unleavened bread. The unleavened bread was to remind them what they had eaten in haste. You remember when they were leaving their bondage in Egypt, they had to quickly grab their dough without any leaven. And so it was unleavened bread, a reminder to them of their deliverance. And then they would also partake of the third thing, bitter herbs. There would be a bowl of salt water to remind them of the tears that were shed when they were in Egypt as slaves and also of the Red Sea that they had passed through miraculously. And then the meal would begin. And during that meal, the head of the company, which would have been Jesus, opens with a prayer. And he gives the first cup of wine for everyone in the company to partake of. And then the head of the company washes his hands. And then the head of the company dips some of the bitter herbs into salt water or vinegar, which speaks of a blessing, and then eats some of the herbs and hands them to others. And they're just, this whole thing is recounting the significance of, of deliverance. Imagine Jesus. This is so just amazing to me to consider Jesus describing the Passover, and he is the Passover. He's talking about the bitterness of bondage, and he's talking about the shed blood of the lamb, and all of it, all of it is a, is a type and a picture that points to him. Could you imagine sitting at that meal and hearing him talk about these things? And in essence, he's pointing to himself. That's why the Bible says that the word of God is written concerning Jesus. It's all about him. It all points to him. 
Then they would have unleavened bread and they would break it into pieces and they would reserve half to be eaten after. At the end of supper, it was called the after dish. And then they would have the second cup filled with wine. And the youngest in the company, which in this case probably would have been John, the beloved, he's instructed to ask questions about the significance of the Passover. And Jesus is explaining it. And then they would sing from Psalm 113 and 114 typically. And then the third cup of wine was filled, followed by prayer. And then they would all drink that cup and then everyone washed their hands and then they would eat the Passover meal and the lamb would be completely consumed and anything that was left, they would, they would burn it being completely consumed and then the after dish of bread was broken earlier was now to be eaten and it's believed that at that point that Jesus began to institute for the very first time communion and he changed the significance of this meal, which pointed to himself. It says here that Jesus, in verse 19, took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. We read a moment ago that the hour in verse 14 had come. This was the hour. Throughout his ministry, Jesus had been saying, you remember, mine hour has not yet come. Mine hour has not yet come. Well, now the hour had come. The hour that he had been living for, that predetermined time in the mind and the will of the Father for Jesus to pay for our sins. Jesus said to his disciples, I have desired with fervent desire to celebrate this Passover with you. I mean, if you think about Jesus' life, think about all of the Passovers that he celebrated throughout his life. And even the disciples probably had, had spent more than one Passover with Jesus, but Jesus said, this is the one. This is the one Passover that I have desired to eat with you, this one right here, because from this point on, everything is gonna change. And I've desired it. It speaks of of a longing in the heart of Jesus for this to happen, for the mission to be fulfilled, for the will of the Father to ultimately be done. And he takes that bread, which was, again, at every meal for the most part, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, and he said, I want you to take this. And every time that you take it, I want you to remember it because it spoke of his death. It spoke of his body that was about to be bruised, about to be crucified. The bread represented the body of Jesus that would be broken. You remember Jesus during his ministry in John's gospel, the sixth chapter, he said, quote, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus referred to himself as the manna that came down from heaven, the bread. If you will come to me, in essence, Jesus said, and you will partake of me, of my life, you will never hunger. Let me ask you, what are you feeding upon today? Because there's a lot of things that you can be feeding on in this world today that don't provide the satisfaction and fulfillment that Jesus alone can provide. 
Have you come to the one who calls himself the bread and partaken of him? Have you come to the one who refers to the work of the Holy Spirit as living water and drinking deeply of it so that you never thirst again? It's found in him. Where are you looking for your satisfaction today? Are you finding fulfillment in the person and the work of Jesus who is the bread that came down from heaven? Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. I love that it's personal. Broken for you. Yes, he was broken for the whole world, gave himself for the whole world, but it's for me individually, for you individually. God doesn't look at you as just some number or or some face in a crowd. He looks at you and said, this is given for you personally. I can't tell you the way that that changed my life when, when the cross became personal. When I realized it wasn't just he died for the world, but me, my sin, John Randall's sin, he paid for it through his death. When it speaks of his body being broken, it refers to the fact that his hands would be pierced through with nails. His feet would be pierced through. The crown of thorns would be placed upon his head. A spear would be shoved up through his side. He'd be beaten beyond recognition of a man. Of course, it speaks of the suffering physically, but then there's this other side of the cross that is, is so beyond our ability to comprehend, the spiritual side of him being separated from the Father for the very first time, forsaken so that we wouldn't have to be. This is my body. It's broken for you. It's given for you. And then he said, this is the cup. He said, this is the cup. And notice this. It's the new covenant in my blood shed for you. The cup represented the shed blood of Jesus. The Bible says that we weren't redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. It says in the scriptures that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. There's no forgiveness of sins apart from the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so what is Jesus saying to his disciples? Every time you partake of these elements that are, that are at almost at every meal, bread and wine, this was something so common. Every time you sit down and partake of these things, I want you to remember me. I remember reading through this on one occasion and it, it dawned on me. It was almost as if Jesus was saying, every time you sit down to a meal, Think of me. I want you to think about me that much. If you sit down to a meal three times a day, thinking three times a day at least about what Jesus has done for you on the cross, what he has provided for you every time. And then they began to partake of communion. Here at Calvary Chapel, we partake of communion on the first Wednesday evening of the month and other times. But why do we partake of communion? What is it that we are commemorating? What is it that we are celebrating in this memorial is really what it is. First of all, understand this. Communion, if you're not aware of this, it is not a ritual that we go through mechanically of a cracker and juice. It's not some, something we just go through without thinking. What, what is this? Nor does the partaking of communion and the sacraments provide redemption for our sins or secure our salvation. No, communion is to be a reminder of Jesus. It's a reminder of the suffering. It's a reminder of the agony. It's a reminder of the redemption. And Jesus said here, it's a new covenant that has been ushered in. Those two words are significant, new covenant. The Old Testament, there is what we have as an old covenant. And in the New Testament, Jesus ushered in a new covenant. The old covenant found in the Old Testament, listen carefully, was predicated upon man's performance, man's work. But the new covenant is predicated upon the performance of Jesus on our behalf. 
Salvation is complete. It's done. It's finished. It's paid in full. The old covenant said that in order for your sins to be atoned for, you have to come and bring and offer a sacrifice, and that sacrifice would would only cover your sins. It would not remove it. You'd have to offer another sacrifice. The old covenant was ratified by the blood of animals, but the new covenant was ratified by the blood of Jesus. The new covenant found in Christ brings an inner transformation that cleanses us, the Bible says, from all sin. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34 says, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Furthermore, this transformation puts God's word and his will into my heart, into my life. Jeremiah 31 says, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on the tablets of their heart. Furthermore, this covenant provides a close, intimate fellowship with God where God said, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 9. He said, if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve a living God and For this reason, Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant by the means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. What a glorious thing. What a blessing you have today through the new covenant, the shed blood of Christ. Do you know that when the priests would go into the Holy of Holies, there was a huge, a huge veil that stood between the holy place and the holiest of all places where the Ark of the Covenant was. And once a year, the priest could take the blood of a lamb in a basin, go beyond that veil into the Holy of Holies to the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant there, and he would pour it out and God would atone their sins. Once a year. But guess what? When Jesus died, Jesus being the high priest, Jesus being the sacrifice, Jesus shedding his own blood, when Jesus died, the veil in that temple was ripped from top to bottom, the doors were open, access was granted into the throne of God, and because of the blood of Christ, you can come into his presence anytime you desire. We approach a throne of grace today. The way has been opened up because of the cross, and Jesus said, every time you take of this Remember me. Maybe today you're here and you you are doubting the love of God. You're questioning whether God really cares for you. Can I exhort you, if I haven't already, look back at the cross. Look at what Jesus did. Remember him. Listen, that is why in heaven everybody's around the throne of grace, worshiping him, saying, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Everybody understands there what it meant. Oh, may God give us a greater glimpse today of the finished work of Jesus, the new covenant that we've entered into through his blood. You're listening to A Daily Walk with our teacher and pastor, John Randall. Hear the study again anytime you'd like at adailywalk.org and sign up for our free podcast so you can start receiving biblical encouragement on a regular basis. If you'd rather have a CD copy sent your way, that's available for a cost of $5. You can order by phone at 877 877- 
888-242-0828. Have you downloaded our free app? This is a great way to listen to weekly teachings from John. Search for Calvary South OC. It's always encouraging to hear from our listeners. Even just a brief email letting us know you're listening and where means a lot. It's an opportunity to say thanks to God for what he's doing. Share a praise report or a prayer request today. You can email that to us at adailywalk at gmail.com. That's adailywalk at gmail.com. We've got a timely resource to share with you today. It's Barry Stagner's book, The Time of the Signs. This will give you a chronology of Earth's final events. As you study the signs Jesus foretold, you'll gather evidence that proves we are living in the very time of these signs. You'll also gain a clear understanding of what will happen and when. That's the time of the signs. Just $12 at adailywalk.org. You can also call 877-242-0828. A Daily Walk is made possible through the support of listeners just like you. With your help, we're able to deliver God's good news all over the nation and world. Would you consider helping us in this venture to get the word out? People are being blessed and helped in their daily walk. Again, to make a secure donation, drop by adailywalk.org or call us 877-242-0828. Consider these questions with us next time on A Daily Walk. The greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. But here's the question for us before we move on, because all of us wrestle with this. All of us are wondering about our own personal greatness. But look at this. Think about this. How are you presently serving other people right now in your life? How are you serving Jesus by serving others? Who do you serve? Another question. How do you serve and with what attitude do you serve? What is the motive for serving? The road to the cross continues for Jesus. Next time on A Daily Walk as John Randall returns to Luke 22. See you then. A Daily Walk is a presentation of Calvary South O.C.